Well, it is a scorcher in Britain this week. Can I ask, mm. what is everybody doing to beat the heat, starting with our guest, Connor? Well, I'm actually in uh, Wyoming at 7,220 feet. So to beat the heat, we've been having massive hailstorms every two days. That's helped. Oh, good. Mm. You're saying? Uh, I got myself a tattoo today. Um, I'm going to describe the tattoo very briefly. It's an angel with a giant pair of breasts, and it's sitting on a banner which says mum. Cool. That's, hey, that's, <laughs> that's the way to keep cool, in my opinion. And uh, Milo, how have you chosen to beat the heat? Oh, beat the heat. <laughs> so fucking stupid. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to this bonus episode of Trash Future Nights. Uh, it is, mm. hey, does it feel like 2018 out there? Because it's Riley, Milo, and Hussein. How's yeah. it going, guys? It's a classic arrangement. Yeah. Indeed. And uh, we are also uh, with a, a first-time guest, but a long time coming, uh, Connor Southard of the Podside Picnic podcast, who you may know from also writing. Connor, how's it going? And was that the best introduction of you that has ever happened? Yeah, especially when you said long time coming. Thank you for that, Riley. Um, mm. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's honestly an honor to be here. We've had you on our pod, Podside Picnic, a couple times. And Indeed. I'm really glad to get the chance to repay the favor. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, mm. uh, I, I still maintain that the episode we did about... Um, the libertarian wizard who writes an Ayn Rand version of Lord <laughs> of the Rings called Terry Goodkind is probably still some of the most fun I have ever had on a podcast ever. Yeah, that was a blast. Um, yeah. That's an exclusive episode, which is a good reason to subscribe to our Patreon. I'll shut up about that yes. now. But yeah, um, uh, you've, been, uh, you've been a great resource on all of the sort of weird ponytail guy elements of sci-fi. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would just uh, like to I say that had... A Long Time Coming is the title of the uh, forthcoming Dominic Cummings and Faze Banks podcast on <laughs> Times Radio. <laughs> Thank you for saving my terrible joke that I made there. That was that was a step up. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, a long, long time coming. Also, the collaboration between Wiz Khalifa and Dominic Cummings on the untimely death of Paul Walker. Jesus Paul <laughs> Dominic, Dominic Cummings just opening his like apology press conference with like it's called family. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, been a long time. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'd watch that shit. Uh, I was no. We, we have to do illegal. Paul Walker drag was driving racing. to Barnard Castle while blind. Oh, fuck, you got me. You you fucking pit me to the post on the obvious Dominic Cummings joke. Remember that. Yeah. Anyway, look, we are here today to do a couple of things. We are go we've watched a film. We have watched a, a film that is one of my favorites. I was tired of watching bad films and consuming media that I don't like, uh, just to please the, you know, uh hoggish listeners to this podcast. And so I have made uh, uh my my co-hosts and Connor watch a movie that I do like. Uh, called Logan's Avengers Run. Endgame. <laughs> yeah, I, I made them watch. Uh, I made them watch uh, Black Panther and then apologize. Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> I um, I uh, I, I really like this movie. 
And the fact that we're watching it now is unrelated to any personal events that have happened in my life in the last couple of weeks, actually. Yeah, um, Ryder's had so, a glowing jewel installed in his hand as like a really weird flex. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> Logan's Run is one. It is one of my favorites. A classic sci-fi. Michael York, Jenny Agutter, Farrah Fawcett, totally misused, totally underused, but nevertheless. Um, so we're going to talk about about that movie because I'm sorry, I but think... Farrah Fawcett misused is a porno title for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, especially because Farrah Fawcett's not in it. It's the name that was misused in the creation of the title. Mm. Uh, no, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's starring on some other porn people. Anyway, look. Point being, uh, we're going to talk about this movie because I actually I I think it's it's very interesting and fascinating. And if you ever want to think about the end of the world, I think it's always helpful to think about how previous generations imagined the end of the world, which is sort of the last one that's appreciably different. But before we do that, because as much as I like to, you know, um, uh, gently rib the listeners of this show, I also know that they don't just want to hear me talk about stuff I like. And they want to hear us talk about bad things. And so we're going to do a startup first before we get into that. Dope. Gentlemen, the name of the startup today is Brex. And the first person to make a Brexit joke is off the show. <laughs> <laughs> you see like veins popping out in my forehead. <laughs> the startup oh. is called Brex. Brex. Connor, give us a guess. I mean, my first thought honestly wasn't Brexit. I was thinking of one of those like... Uh, you know, one of those really healthy British cereals that tastes like felt. <laughs> okay, okay, a cereal, uh, Milo. Uh, I'm thinking, is it like, uh, is it like the the B Rex? Like we've all heard of the T Rex, but what about what about the B Rex who's just really into Bitcoin? So you're suggesting that this two that this startup that's been valued at two billion dollars, invested in by Y Combinator, Peter Thiel, and several early Facebook investors, is either a cereal or a hitherto undiscovered type of dinosaur. I mean, is that would that be the stupidest thing they've ever invested in? No, I no. rest my case. <laughs> no, it would not. Uh, Hussein. So I have two two ideas. The first is that it kind of falls into the vein of like this is very much like the TRX. It's a weird. It's like a weird sort of exercise cult that sort of um, it kind of counts the number of sweat droplets that you have, and it translates them into a cryptocurrency which definitely has value and you can track it all on this app, which just requires a lot of consenting to giving away personal information. The second... There is the surveillance element. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, very, that's like a very large net to throw. So like, I'm not going to take any wins for that. The second True. is that it is something, it is to do with like dating, um, i.e. The X, the X part. So... It might be. This also feeds into the fitness thing too. So it's a service where once you get dumped by your ex-girlfriend, they will get you jacked. So you can make them jealous on Instagram. Mm. No, mm, I like that. That'd be a great, that'd be a great idea, though, right? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Like <laughs> Combinator, Peter Thiel, give that a go. No, uh, it, it, some marketing copy. Uh, better together, built for the way your company works. And again, uh, better together being one of the slogans of the Remain campaign. Anyone who makes a Brexit reference is off the show. <laughs> Milo, how's that vein? It's the fourth uh, it's, anniversary. It's, you know, it's swelling. It's, it's the fourth anniversary of the vote today. Yeah. So. Oh, um, fuck yeah. Yeah. This is hey, real erasure. This is the vein must be really, really like uh, visible. 
I, I'm saying like I have a, I have a rock brain. hard penis and I'm flying a Union Jack off of it. <laughs> so, uh, and it is also built to help you dream big. Built to help you dream big. We're gonna do one more round of uh, one more round of of, of of seeing if you can guess what this is. Sorry, and I thought you were I talking about my penis. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I, well, I wouldn't consider it a part of any human being. It's to be called melophonous. <laughs> no, not again. We are not doing this again. <laughs> um, no. So, uh, Connor, I want to hear a guess out of you. Well, I mean, first, Riley, I feel like I have to address the situation. I didn't realize it was a fourth anniversary of the vote, and I want you guys to know you can't see me, but I'm getting down and kneeling and just telling you guys how sorry I am right now. Um, and then I'm here to listen. Mm. But uh, first, before we, before that, I mean, I think that based on what you said about Better Together and the fact that this has garnered so much money so quickly without me hearing about it, I'm going to guess that it is something of like a, work, a worker surveillance, like a work at home surveillance kind of thing, like a way to control your employees even at distance. Yes, uh, that's not it, but that would be a very good guess. Uh, I'm going to say, because of time, I'm going to go ahead and, mm -hmm. and, and give you what it is. Uh, with Brex, you can access higher credit limits and streamline your finances as a startup into a single strategic account. When you combine the uh, Brex card, a corporate card especially for startups with a 30-day payment cycle, and the Brex cash management account. Okay. So it's like, now, so it's like a Monzo for startup. Well, they try, try to market themselves as a Monzo for startups. Yeah, well, they're they're worth two billion dollars. So I think they've, they've successfully ah, marketed themselves. So it's a now, credit card, but where you keep all your money stored on your credit card, so that you have to pay your credit card. Uh, yeah, you do have to pay it with in a thirty day payment cycle. Now you have a separate bank account, but they do offer you a bank account that's not a bank account. Now I'm going to ask you all a, a question, and you're, I'm wanting you to answer at the same time, and I'm hoping that you all know enough about the show to know what the correct answer is here. Is this a bank? No, no. Oh, was it I is... supposed to answer? But obviously not. Yes. No. No, of course it's not. <laughs> Obviously not. It's a tech company that's figured out how to be a credit card issuer and also take deposits without being a bank. Awesome. <laughs> Be yourself and have fun with it. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's Hire be, more no, women, days, banks. These days, yeah. you can just go out and identify as a tech company and people have to give you money. It's political yeah. correctness gone mad. That's right. Um, so basically, Brex, here's Brex's pitch, is that it's, stuff, it's tough for startups with little to no credit history of their own to obtain a corporate credit card. Uh, and usually founders have to give a personal guarantee if they want to get like borrow money just for, you know, buying things. Um, so what Brex did is that they have a, a, a program where they plug a little an API into your bank account and then they give you a dynamic credit rating based on how your company's doing at that moment. Um, so it basically means that as a startup, you could potentially have a credit rating that just scales with you. Or if things start to go wrong, you'll immediately mm. lose your credit rating. And then what was the point of ever having had the card? Awesome. Thank you. So yeah. as long as you have um, loads of money, you can have credit. But as soon as you don't have money, you can't borrow any money. <laughs> that makes sense. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's the it actually makes first perfect sense in like venture capital land, though, is the funny thing, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's the world's first completely pro-cyclical um, uh, credit card program. Um, and so what's very interesting, right, uh, is... Is that essentially uh, you? They also offer a, a bank account um, mm. without being a bank, and okay. so uh, this is called Brex Cash. It says it's Brex like Cash. So about how the startup, how the startup actually makes money, right? Is that they have a revolving credit line from Barclays and Credit Suisse that they get at a wholesale price. 
then with the credit cards, um, lenders, uh, borrowers rather, can access that wholesale credit at a retail price where the merchant is charged for um, accepting the payment. So basically, they just sit as a middleman between Barclays and Credit Suisse and then like Amazon Web Services, which is mostly what this gets spent on anyway. So it's just a way to get uh, credit and VC money back up to like either Silicon Valley landlords or one of the big tech companies that provide services to all the others. <laughs> cool. Honestly, cool. this is kind of brilliant. Like, I'm wondering if this is one of those things where there's probably some law against it that's just not being enforced the last like three months. Oh, there very much is. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Because normally it's like the kind of thing where like, this isn't illegal, but it really should be. And it turns out the law is written in this way where it's like, well, we really think you shouldn't do this, but we trust you not to do it. <laughs> well, so it's not so much that the, it's against the law as if you want to offer a banking a bank account without being a bank, it's really hard. <laughs> How are you going to yeah, get insured sort of in the, the name, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of right there. And so basically, here's their because like the, the actual card. I mean, you know, it's basically just some like you know they've they've written they've written some um some software that analyzes a startup spending habits and how much investment they're getting from like you know um venture capitalists or high net worth individuals or whatever to try to determine if it's like a credit worthy company. You know, um, problems with that aside, like at least that mm. kind of makes sense. Um, it's just you know it's it's it is basically a, a method for just redirecting um capital whether borrowed or invested to like four companies and <laughs> landlords um what i find more interesting is that uh they have vo- they have stated in the past that they are unconcerned with the possibility of an impending recession <laughs> okay <laughs> that sounds that, good that they that they grow whenever customers are spending a lot of money growing quickly and raising capital they, well, that'll they keep say, happening in a recession. Yeah, they, well, that's they, good. Because they, because they assume that even in downturns, entrepreneurs will want to start companies att- and attempt to raise money. Uh, okay. So, yeah. There's a difference between like, wanting to do something and it working. <laughs> uh, so that sounds like, ne- like negative talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, so, if, so their kind of offering, I guess like their kind of market thing is where they're offering... Um, an easy or easier line of credit, but they're also associated with like actual banks for which if you were a startup company trying to operate or trying to start up during a recession, it would be very difficult for you to get a loan from like Barclays or Credit Suisse, right? Oh, well, the thing is, if you're not doing very well, you're not going to have actual any access to much credit. So, you know, it's probably difficult for you to get a loan from Brex as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like how much of like, uh, well, actually, no, I know the answer, which is pretty much all of it. But like, it continually surprises me how much of our economy is just like rent seeking bullshit like this. Like, oh, we've taken a service that already exists and repackaged it and made it more expensive for the purpose of selling it to morons in a way that will probably destroy their company in a way that we haven't even predicted yet. Correct. Yeah, I I would love to know a list of this firm's supposed clients. Uh, they probably have some like fake ones that aren't actually borrowing money from them and are just have just agreed to be part of this deal because they have the same VC or whatever. That happens obviously, but like who? I'm just trying to imagine a situation where a company would like need this kind of borrowing capacity, but also like without being a total joke or a total disaster in a, in a you know, in an environment where it's still fairly easy to raise money if your thing is viable at all. I'm just, this is confusing to me. Well, that that's it, right? It is, it is basically a company that exists for a growing economy and only works in a growing economy. 
you know, this is this is it's not a it's not a company that works during an economic downturn because it needs all of that growth for all of its different lending bets to be viable. You know, I mean, even like mm-hmm. it's it 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 needs it needs sort of different kinds of guaranteed returns. It needs it need, it needs all all sorts of things to be working. You know, for for fintechs to work because ultimately fintechs are just about creating an app that gives them a slice of any economic growth that happens elsewhere in the economy and then just completely going bust as soon as things start to tank because they don't have balance sheets like banks do and they don't have access to central bank capital basically um, yeah because i mean but, if you want to get if you want to get your vc capital you've got to be you've got to have started a company that's called like i don't know like uh character and what it does is it's like a fridge with a laser inside it that tells you how old your carrots are and the laser doesn't actually work but the wi-fi connection breaks your wi-fi router and the guy who founded the company is the son of like a guy who like owns shell and his name is like braced and chastener or something <laughs> <laughs> so um some of uh, like Brex has, has quite a few has quite a few clients, uh, but they're all companies with names like Countsy, eighty six repairs, Andy, Othram, Project Keto. Eighty six <laughs> repairs was the B side to ninety nine problems. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but but what I find interesting is, in addition to this uh, credit product, they also offer a bank account. Or not a bank account because it's not a bank. Um, uh, and account. what's really a interesting, Carlton Banks account. Is, <laughs> like tell you in the small print. Is that uh, this Carlton Banks account is able to offer 1.6% yield on just a simple cash balance sitting in it, but savings accounts mm. in the US offer only 0.1% interest on average? How's that working, I wonder? Uh, wow. I know, I know, I know it, how that's working. Is it something bad? I to tell you. Uh, this, remember when I said earlier, you were like, this couldn't possibly be, uh, this must be against the law in some way. And I was like, it is. <laughs> This is how. So, cool. um, because Brex Cash sure does sound like a bank to me. Uh, I assume it's insured by the FDIC. Wrong. It is not insured by the FDIC. Brex Cash isn't a bank account at all. It's an investment fund. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's an wow. investment fund as a tech company. So even if you do treat it as an investment fund, you're not getting any like appreciation. You're not getting any of the features that like an investment fund offered by a bank would give you. Well, what you're getting is that basically what happens is that when you put money in Brex Cash, uh, Brex Cash then gives it to Brex Treasury LLC, which is registered in Delaware, mm. which then of goes course, and buys. It's a cool place where people love to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Where companies oh, love well, to listen, hang out Jack. and you know, not have to. <laughs> yeah. let, 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 listen, Mac, if you want a treasury bill, you're going to gonna have to start drawing that up in the, in the state senate. Yeah. And that's how it becomes <laughs> all, a law. all of your money uh, anyway, is guided dope. by a bunch of guys in leather jackets with flick knives. <laughs> We're keeping it in like a dumpster by the pool. Honestly, this well, is kind let, of brilliant. Let me... I'll, let, I'll let Riley finish, but this is kind of a brilliant idea from what I'm hearing. So essentially what they say is, yes, we will, we will buy treasury bills for you. And then they will constantly be buying and selling treasury bills as people put money in, into and take money out of this business checking account effectively. Um, but the, the reason it's against the law is that uh, the uh, basically brokerage accounts, which is what that is, um, has a kind of parallel uh, to the FDIC, which is the SIPC. They insure the contents of brokerage accounts, the cash contents of bro- brokerage accounts. But they have indicated very strongly that they don't see this kind of thing as worthy of insurance. So it's, 
it seems as though Brex is saying, yes, you can have this bank account. And then um, the main regulator of whether or not that's a bank account in the States is saying, no, you can't. No, this doesn't work. We won't. No, 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 no. Ah. We don't. We don't. We don't ensure that. Honestly, um, I, where I thought you were going with that was just essentially to say, I thought you were going in a different direction, which is that the money they lend to startups is like regulated in the same way that like an angel investment fund might be, and that therefore you're you're just like buying essentially you're buying p- like tiny pieces of investment in a bunch of different firms, et cetera, et cetera, and that's how the banking function works. But this is even more diabolical. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> It's just they basically they have taken like I don't know fucking like Edward Jones like your your a uh, high street investment advisor and they've just slapped a tech company veneer on it they've called it a checking account and the go- and then the SIPC is like no no it's not it's not that um, <laughs> when asked what Brex Cash actually is one of the founders said we can call it whatever we want I would just call it Brex Cash we don't need to say it's an investment account or it's a brokerage account or it's a checking account or it's, it's a savings more account. Of a- this bank account is a vibe it's a kind of a you know it's a feel a mood you know that that feeling you get when you use a bank account it's that yeah (laughs) anyway cool um, wow the the other funny thing so i said two billion dollar valuation i mean it's a three billion dollar valuation however they just laid off uh 62 of their 400 workers so they were they were emitting bad vibes, so it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, because most of their customers are like you know Airbnb, ClassPass, other Flexport, other people who are you know really dependent on the economy being the same. And all of a sudden, people aren't churning money through their through their system anymore. All of a sudden, all those revolving loans at Barclays and Credit Suisse might not be such a good idea. All of a sudden, like your magic ability just to guarantee 1.6% returns on a savings account that no one will insure because it's not a savings account doesn't look like a viable plan. Anyway, this will not stop anybody involved in this from being, uh, I don't know, like uh, wealthy enough to, I don't know, like end poverty in at least one US state uh, several times over. Riley, I'll, I'll be real <laughs> with you. You're being kind of a fake LA bitch right now. You know, you're kind of, you're acting like a shark hungry as fuck and not like a room full of people who love you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> remember when they said that remember when they said that they weren't concerned about a recession yeah that's cool because we're in like the worst recession that's ever happened <laughs> seems like maybe they should have been mm. uh, anyway i only wanted to talk about that because uh, we've been doing kind of a theme i guess of financial technology companies the last few weeks and um i really didn't think anyone could get closer to I'm not a bank, but I perform all the activities of a bank than Greensill. I'm not a bank, but I'll take a look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think anyone would get closer to that. But now we found a non-bank that also is trying to be a deposit taker. They're, they're learning. They're like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of Greensill, by the way, um, you know how they're actually like getting... Like Credit Suisse is now investigating the circular financing of startups in the supply chain finance fund. Like this is now becoming oh good, it's becoming a scandal. Um, I searched on the BBC for the last mention of Greensill. You know what it was? It was, uh, it was it was a puff piece written on April 29th about how Lex Greensill used one of his many jets to fly someone who lives near him for cancer treatment in Germany. No one who owns a private jet could be an evil man. Yeah. So when has anything know. bad ever happened putting a child on a private jet? And also, you know, thanks, thanks, BBC. Real yeah. crack job you're doing here. 
<laughs> Little St. James Children's Hospital. <laughs> Christ, fucking hell. It looks, it looks like a mosque, but it's actually a hospital. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I think, I think that the point here, right, is that the BBC, the public interest, publicly owned broadcaster, etc., etc., has just, just comp- there is a slow rolling financial scandal uh, unfolding that has like consumed several like major British employers already that is deeply embedded in the British economy. And the last time they talked about it was some puff piece about the leader, about the CEO. Oh. I mean, not not to defend the BBC here, but I mean, you know, they obviously had literally zero idea about that because, like, they were too busy, you know, talking about the Germoy Crobney and the jam, the, the jam, <laughs> the jam that hates the Jews, Germoy Crobney. You know, there was they didn't have any time to find out about like the huge world-ending financial crisis. No, of course not. <laughs> anyway, um, that's just a little bit on fintech. I'm gonna leave. I want to leave fintech alone for a couple of weeks. I it's too depressing. Um, and instead, talk about a post-apocalyptic movie of the 1970s. Picture it. The year is 1976. Uh, Star Wars has not yet come out. And Debbie is are, doing Dallas. <laughs> and you are about to release what is considered to be one of at the time one of the greatest visual spectacles uh, in. Uh, in recent cinema history. Uh, additionally, you are, an, you are an aging Hollywood executive who is becoming increasingly panicked about a youth culture that you feel no longer needs you and that you do not understand. Welcome to the world of Logan's Run. Oh, um, I, thought, I thought you were going to say Bat Pussy. <coughs> yes. The 1973 oh. Batman pornographic satire. What, was that a real that thing? Was a That's a real thing. That's a real movie. Huh. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I, I, I'm not, I am not and have never spoken about the Batman pornographic satire. Um, no, I, I no. want to give it the satisfaction. Um, this, is, uh, I, this, is, this is a movie that I've long found uh, very, very interesting. I really, I really like... I, I've often had a sort of morbid curiosity and fascination with um, dystopian movies that are all about the sort of management of the ending of human life um like i have a similar fascination with that arnold schwarzenegger movie the running man uh, i don't know if you all know it yeah 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 and so it, this is this is just one a film that's long sort of kept me very interested but the basics of it is that it is this post-apocalyptic seeming paradise in a, a set in a domed series of cities um and the key and everything is perfect and comfortable and there's no social conflict everyone's very happy there seems to be very little almost everyone's no dressed like a court jester from the middle yeah. ages for some reason Every, everyone's dressed like a cool court jester um Wasn't like part of this movie was like oh you know in the future they're not gonna have shoes <laughs> that's like a cocaine ass <laughs> idea like no one's oh, gonna wear very- oh, you think you think people in the future are gonna wear shoes what are you stupid Anyway, it's the it's the se- it's the 70s and cocaine use is still normalized for another couple of years. Um, but the the key the catch is uh, that you have a little jewel embedded in your hand. And as it comes closer, as you get closer to your 30th birthday, it will begin blinking black and red, at which point you have to go to a ritual where you are called carousel, where you are sacrificed unless, of course, you can try to renew your life clock and live all over again. Um, so that's, that's the basics of the, of this movie. Now, what actually happens is Logan 
Logan's character, let's finish the plot summary for a sec, um, is uh, it's called a Sandman who has to track down people who don't voluntarily go uh, and get killed in the ritual of Carousel um, in order to keep the population uh, stable in this sort of uh, highly managed post-apocalyptic city. Um, and of course, he then has to go on the run himself. So that's all I'll say for now, but I just want to open general impressions of this film before we get into the plot. What, what do we think, fellas? I was a big appreciator of the Bruce List aesthetic and how well it was. Uh, it, it was like a more optimistic time for big blocky buildings as utopian. And I miss that. I appreciate that. One of the things that I found really interesting was that most of the actual principal photography for the scenes inside the city were done in a mall. It was done in a gigantic mall in Dallas. Big aesthetic there. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's that's one of the things that I find most interesting here is that this is kind of a triumph of sort of set design and art design generally, which is quite amazing when you realize, like, like Riley said, it was filmed in a mall, a 70s mall. And also in like abandoned uh, sewage water treatment tunnels beneath Dallas, apparently. Mm. Mm. I mean, to be honest, like that was an aspect of the film that I did. I mean, it's obviously like it's a very good concept for a film. Like, I feel like it's very it's very like prescient in some ways in that like, yeah, I mean, we totally live in a society that's just going to start murdering the elderly pretty soon if we haven't started already. Um but like it was and also that there's like a certain truth to just imagining that in the future we all live in a gigantic mall and no one wears shoes. I feel like that's actually as much as I laugh at it, that's not as far off from like what's probably going to fucking happen. Ra- Raphael Bell was right and we should have just listened to him. <laughs> Raphael, um, any relation of Smokey the? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we uh, what I, I in terms of set design, one of the things I, I think is most 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 lovely is like the. That there are occasionally these gigantic sort of luxurious panning shots of the of this domed city built in miniature that's got all of these um like slot cars what 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 are supposed to be like pods that transport you like to the the sex store or to your beautiful flat or to the shopping arcade everyone's always in, the, in different parts of the mall um that are just to, to drive, yeah. to, which are actually just like electronic slot cars being driven um, in like clear PVC piping. I don't know why, but I feel like after after ten years of um, after ten years of you know the increasingly photorealistic CGI that's just used to make like invincible super gods just sort of shoot lasers at each other, it is actually very satisfying to know to see something that's actually real and built. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I thought all of the effects were kind of shit, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to do. (laughs) Like even for a 1970s movie, like I've seen lots of movies from the 70s, and I thought the visual effects in this movie were like astonishingly bad. Like the the um the the aesthetic of it is quite cool, but like anytime they even do something like a basic explosion, it looks like absolute dog shit. Like there are plenty of movies, like Bond films did explosions as like decently, even in like the 1960s. Like, I don't know. There was like, an, there was definitely an element of like high school art project to this. Weirdly, it was so you're doing it totally for- wrong, which is that as an ambassador from the world of narrative arts podcasting, you're supposed to get on and say like, just don't make them like that anymore. We need more practical effects, less CGI. <laughs> Looks great. Makes me so nostalgic. Like, I feel like I need to interject yeah. that a little bit. Um, yeah, it, uh, I, I don't think it. Look, were the, exp- are any of the explosions good? No. Did I? Is it? <laughs> is it? 
kind of just fun to see a like a, a big panning shot that's clearly a bunch of miniatures. Yes, yeah, that absolutely. I enjoy. I mean, um, one thing that really jumped out to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like this is changing topic too much, but one thing that I that really stuck out to me um, on our podcast, we've done a fair amount of sci-fi films and books from this era. Like we did Flash Gordon recently, which is very aesthetically similar, similar, like you know, same like shimmering '70s garments and stuff like that. And I think one thing that I find fascinating about the world that they kind of posit in the first act is like pretty much all sci-fi from that era, I guess, with the exception of maybe Le Guin and a couple others, maybe um, Delaney. uh, It's essentially like it's their idea of like a liberated utopia, which still felt sort of attainable in the you know next several decades. It's very, it's like, as, as Riley said, it's super utopian. And part of that is that it's like sexually liberated, but their idea of liberation is sort of what would have been like a 45 year old film producer's idea of sexual liberation at the time, which is like extremely heterosexual, boring, exploitative, mad pussy. Yeah. It's just, it's just about, you know, it's about heterosexual men having all of the like extremely vanilla sex they want. Basically Um, that like pervades the culture in this moment. And it's kind of done to perfection here. Oh yeah. Well, the, um, the, there is, they're constantly finding reasons for Jenny Agutter to get naked. Like, at one point, they, they end up in an ice cave later on, and they're just like, oh, we should take off our clothes so they don't freeze. And they just take off their <laughs> clothes in this ice cave and then put on some nearby bear skins. And then when they leave the ice cave, they take off the bear skins and put their clothes back on. <laughs> Rules. Uh, Absolutely yeah. awesome. I also, yeah. yeah, like also there was like an element during this film of like the constant like sexualization of Jenny Agata, which I, I don't know if this is just me being British, but like there's something about Jenny Agata who has a deeply like looks like your friend's mum kind of vibe that like <laughs> I was really struggling with the like, oh, God, if she's so hot. Like where it's just like, no, she feels like someone who might have like given me a Capri Sun and like taken me to an after school club. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, um, but there, there, this is what I find. So basically there's, that the family in, in this world is also non-existent. It is purely, um, it is, it is, it, you, you are born from like a seed mother, you know, you, you don't have parents. You're sort of, you just sort of are raised by yourself. And then you just sort of naturally drift into a life of hanging out at the mall and, uh, fucking and uh, similar and similarly, um, you know, just having a good life. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the economy again is pers- is is shown as a kind of post scarcity economy. Uh, just the ultimate the ultimate mall experience of never leaving it. But I feel like that's this is this so speaks to I think what the the anxieties uh, of of America in the nineteen seventies, right? Um, that the sort of the birth that it's coming at the birth of what would be what would become the sort of defining decade of its culture in the eighties of um of, of you know growing and rampant consumerism of um of sort of unease around what sexual liberation means um and also you know i mean of uh of of fear of what the state of of of, of a relationship with an incredibly overpowering state i mean there are there are left and right wing readings of this film and a lot of the right wing ones say uh you know that this is that that the citizens of 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 the dome city in logan's run are effectively um uh so they these this is what the citizens under a left-wing government would be they would be purely existing at the pleasure of and um for the sake of the continuation of the state uh, the the collapse of individuality 
you can see all of the anxiety sort of bottled up in what is it what it tries to be and i think like again succeeds to be a relatively like sort of um very soft edged and sensuous film at least in the first act which is really funny because like mm. being a cop who lives at a shopping center and has all of the it has like really boring uh, heterosexual sex. That's the right wing dream, right? Like, that's, yeah. oh my god, that's the American <laughs> Paul Blart Sandman. That's basically, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so the the ritual of carousel is what we open on, where residents of the city follow file into an auditorium around a giant version of one of their life gems, and this crazy psychedelic human sacrifice ritual begins. That was legendarily one of the most difficult like that's the other thing about this movie right is for for all of the effort and and sort of and and money that went into it you don't see much of it on the screen like it was an incredibly (laughs) expensive movie and a lot of people at the top of their craft were involved in making it like this scene where if carousel where all of the 30 year olds file in and begin hovering up to a uh, to a rainbow to try to renew their lives before they then explode um, that's one of the hardest scenes to. That's one of the hardest scenes to do because they all because all of the uh, trapeze artists kept getting tangled up in the wires. Um, and, and all yeah, the that's, that's how, trapeze. That's what uh, Riley's uh, leave to remain ceremony is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, renew. <laughs> renew. Um, this is going to get zapped by like. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, and and so this is like this is one of the central the central um, uh, events of the film, right? Where where, where the, the willing people willingly and excitedly, in fact, going to their deaths uh, so that they might be reborn. Uh, and the 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 it's whole a lot basis like the queue of, outside Baskin Robbins, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so the whole basis the whole basis of this, of course, is that the is that the city is run by a computer. Uh, it's run by an artificial intelligence that. Um, uses the ritual of carousel as a kind of um, as, as a feint, you know, because really what's going on here is top-down population control, um, and 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 now the the idea being that the human population could never be allowed to explode as it did, because the idea is right that there are so many young people before this happened that there was these a massive war because there were too overpopulation, you know, too much, too many resources, you know, we had to keep it tamped down. Um, anyway, uh, so the, after, after this, right, there is a chase scene through a mall where Logan and his friend Francis basically seem like they're toying with a runner who's trying to not get killed in carousel. Yeah. It's, um, it has like a weird, like laser quest kind of vibe to it where they're like, Ooh, yeah. better, better run runner. Yeah. Uh, and after that, they end up in, we, uh, we end up with Michael York, uh, who plays Basil Exposition in Austin Powers, by the way. Um, yes, in in his bedroom, um, and the I, other Michael thing York I in this that, film, by the way, I, I it pains me to admit it, but just cannot act. Good God, yeah. <laughs> okay. girl, uh, it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the one of the other things I I, li- I I like about this this film, little I guess I guess I'm learning it's a guilty pleasure. I didn't know that, but apparently apparently talking to you guys, it is. Um, is the sheer excess of design as a 1970s fiction film. Like his, his room is all conversation pits and sort of angu- angular, uh, not art necessarily, but um, 
decoration. Got a huge marijuana leaf poster on the wall. <laughs> um, yeah, like what's that? But that's that does that. What is what is it that is so typical? And this is sort of for Connor about the design and look and feel of science fiction of the 1970s. Why do we keep coming back to the powder blues, the the different levels, the sort of the, the brass effects, the um, the jumpsuits? I mean, I think a couple answers to that. One, I think you hit on earlier, which is that that's that is still in some ways kind of our aesthetic of material plenitude mixed with, you know, sort of a nebulous kind of liberation. Uh, and I think that's, for me, one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about this period of transition and anxiety, like I think what this film captures perfectly that is kind of the cultural spirit of the mid 70s is this is the moment of transition between the kind of like earnest, but ultimately nebulous and kind of content free, um, you know, liberation elements of the the 60s and early 70s. And then just how that this is the moment where that's starting to be like funneled directly into neoliberal consumerism. Right. And like this is the transition moment. And so you get you get both sides of the coin, which is this kind of um, blithely optimistic, and I think like earnestly trying to be emancipatory <laughs> sense that like yeah we can have everything. I mean he's laughing, but like we can have everything, and we can have all the great sex we want, and it'll be great. And then you know um, the the darker side of this movie is sort of like stealing ourselves for the reality of what it means to funnel that back into into capitalism. So I threw a lot of abstractions and concepts out there. But I think that like we have not come up with a better sort of aesthetic of sort of plenitude or hope for the future since kind of the era of like between like Star Trek original series and then 10 years or so later this. Like, I just don't think that science fiction has really come up with kind of a better set of aesthetics or ways of thinking about, you know, what a truly hopeful future might look like because we gave up on it about four or five years after this. So... <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Like you, as you, if you look at, um, if, if you look especially, you know, at what what science fiction aesthetics have become now, it is, it, it it's a common, it's ex, it's everything sort of has a fine layer of grit on it, um, and there has been this real drive to make things. I think um, express a different set of anxieties, you know, whether mm. that's um, sort of quite quite overtly say. Uh, 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 class-based anxieties like in um, District 9 or uh, Children of Men, or whether that's around sort of apocalypse anxieties like, um, you know, any of the Marvel movies which are you know, essentially about praying for the intercession of God to save a society you know to be doomed and decrepit. Um, but it's, we, have, we, have, we have left, essentially, I think, that, that hope, because even, even in its dystopian element, that sci-fi aesthetic is fundamentally hopeful. You know, we have, we have I think left that in the 1970s. Um, so I, I I pretty much concur with that. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, at this point, like anything more cheerful than the road is basically like an unrealistic vision for the future, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, like maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe the 70s guys were right, and in like a hundred years, everyone's going to be running around in like you know pink and green sort of sheer togas with tights and no shoes, and you know just spending all their time in the mall. That's better than what it currently looks like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, that, like I think hopeful storytelling is still possible. I think that one of my pet theories that I try to practice in my work and that I see in other people I think are serious about this kind of work is like any kind of seriously hopeful storytelling that that takes you know material realities um, seriously, like you're pointing towards, 
it, like you have to take the concept of sort of like revolution and actually antagonizing your enemies very seriously and, and think about like what it takes to actually overcome the sort of forces, people and institutions that are your enemies. And this is a kind of story that where like, that doesn't want to do that because the enemy is just some AI that doesn't have like really a clear purpose. And you can apparently persuade everyone in the city to, you know, amend their ways by showing them an old Peter Ustinov. Um, <laughs> Yo, so, yeah. You're saying if you saw Peter Ustinov, it wouldn't change your life in some way? <laughs> I mean, he was great in this. He's the only person in this who's really acting. I guess uh, maybe Jenny Agater if we're being nice, but... Mm. <laughs> are, are you saying that if, if you had just spent 30 years getting pussy in a mall and then you had to meet Peter Ustinov, you wouldn't feel like that day was somehow significant. <laughs> be like, yeah. Like I would be like that guy. Like, yeah, we're going to screw all this free sex and our kind of like, you know, belief that we're going to be reincarnated by the AI God. Like I want to be like this doddering old guy. Yeah. So, speaking, speaking of the AI God, right. Uh, number one, um, there's one, one exchange between uh, Agatha who plays Jessica and, and Lo- Michael York's Logan in their flat. She basically puts herself on t- into a sex teleporter. Then he hits a button, and she favorite gets sex kind of teleporter, baby. Yeah, she gets sex teleported into his flat. Then she's like, "Ah, actually, never mind. I don't want to." And he's like, "What? Really? All right, that's fine." And why are you um, using the sex teleporter? Yeah, he's like, "What? Wait, Use why are you using the sex teleporter? teleporter for God's sake? <laughs> why are you? Why have you yeah. put yourself on the circuit if you don't want to bang?" Um, and that male comedians. Yeah, <laughs> she discussed her friend who was killed, uh, uh, who was a runner who was killed. And Logan said, killed? Why do you use that word? Mm. Uh, Jessica replies, isn't that what you do? Logan, I've never killed anyone in my life. Sandman only terminate runners. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. This is a <laughs> so, bit like well, how that bank account's not a bank account. <laughs> a, a, a Sandman-involved runner termination. Exactly. Um, you know, so what happens is uh, Logan is summoned to Sandman HQ for a secret mission given to him by the soft-spoken MS-DOS computer that uh, runs everything in this city. And um, what I find very... And he's basically given a mission, which is to uh, fake being a runner, so they accelerate his life gem to 30, and then find something called Sanctuary, uh, which is a pre-catastrophe code word for a place of unity, which is also tied to runners. Um, and it is revealed to Logan by the computer that nobody has ever been renewed by Carousel. It just kills everybody. And um, again, we're jumping around in the plot here. But what I think is actually kind of a compelling theory. Now, I have a compelling. I have a theory about this film, which is that the computer actually wants to destroy itself and destroy the city and release people back into the world. And um, it it sends Logan to go find Sanctuary, a place it knows doesn't exist. Which then, as he comes back and completes his mission, this, the computer then destroys itself uh, and releases all the people back into the world where all of the, they all meet and presumably have sex with Peter Ustinov. Exactly, huh. yeah. That guy, you yeah. know, he's not got any pussy his whole life. So <laughs> that's what it's no, but, about. We're going to give him a birthday I, surprise. I, I actually do think it's a, it's, a reasonable, it's a reasonable theory that if there is an all-knowing, all-seeing AI computer that just uh, runs your life for your own sake and for the sake of you know keeping you uh, keeping you happy. You know I, c- I can't imagine some kind of large AI that suggests products for you to buy. Never heard of anything like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that this this computer essentially is trying to destroy itself. I have only one purpose: Ustinov must bust. 
<laughs> okay, so number one. Here's my number one feeling. This is a movie about what happens when a chick comes in between a friendship between two guys. Um, <laughs> it's like a very, it's a very dude movie, and you know, this is kind of. It begins when the sex teleport thing happens, and you know, this is clearly a woman who also just wants to hang out. But the consequences that you know, and 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 it kind of all culminates at the fight between. Um, uh, between the two kind of dude characters at the end, uh, Logan and his his friend. I don't know what what was Francis. his friend's name. Yeah, Logan Francis and Francis. World toughest name. Yeah. My favorite scene in that fight was when Francis gets the American flag and tries to uh, suffocate Logan with it. Um, because what is <laughs> what is like the decrepit American flag, but um, a symbol for the torn friendship yeah, between okay. two guys that have been that has been ruined by chick stuff. Yeah. Um, I. I am fascinated by the theory of a suicidal computer. <laughs> a computer that's just like had enough of being at the mall. Because again, I do feel like there is this point where it's like, yeah, there's only a, there's only a, a certain number of times where you can walk around the Baskin Robbins before it becomes too much. Um, so I do, I do like that idea. My my take from it was more that Logan kind of came back and confused the computer because he kind of presented a very simple challenge to like this very insular system. And I thought that was interesting, like reflecting on that now when you have like insular systems, whether they're kind of like cults or whether they're just like online subcultures. And when an outsider comes in and asks like very basic questions, it kind of challenges the whole kind of internal logic to the point where like, rather than reform on the basis of that logic, it just decides to like implode because it doesn't want to exist anymore. So um, what are you saying? Like scene, someone, like someone comes on the online left subculture and finally has the bravery to say, "You're all members of the PMC." Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. That's the whole and, thing and, to and like, yeah, and like how and like Logan how is do, Amy Therese. and like how do you respond? <laughs> and how how do you how do you respond to that other than have a meltdown? So that's really what happened. The computer had like a public meltdown. And destroyed the entire system in which the society was built on. But then, what I was confused. But then, what I was confused about is like, okay, so if you have like this society of people that believe in an out, like believe that if there's an out, like that, you know, they're safe in the system that they're in. That people are fine when they pass, like when they pass, and like, you know, going away at thirty is cool because who wants to be a boomer anyway? Um. To then like be revealed into the real world and everyone just seems to be totally fine and chill with it, right? Like their material conditions haven't really gotten better as a result of it. Like well, you- if anything, they've, they've their lives have become probably much more difficult, yeah. and many of them probably aren't gonna live past thirty anyway, because they all have to live in a post apocalyptic vine covered Washington DC. Right. Now that Trump drained the swamp. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, oh shit, yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, like because like if the only benefit is like, oh yeah, now people can have sex with each other, it's like well, they could have sex with each other before and they would have clean sheets. And in this, presumably in this world, there was no, there were no like diseases or STDs or anything. So I, I think, I think that the real, the real lack, right. Is it's, it's a pretty common, is pretty common dystopian theme where it's like, yeah, all of your, all of your immediate sensory requirements are taken care of. Um, but anything, anything above your requirement for food, shelter, comfort, sex, whatever, is completely uh, off limits to you. Mm. The uh, the concept of of get, the ability to get old, the ability to have a family, and so on and so on, is is completely is completely stripped away. And you know, I mean, it's um, it, it is it's it's I th- again, I think it's a 
It's it's a movie that is made by I, th- I think aging Hollywood executives who are afraid of of the young, who are afraid of the collapse of the, the willing collapse of of of, th- of things they consider yeah. to be important social institutions. I mean, in many ways, what is Carousel but a metaphor for Hollywood cancel culture? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I that's why all the people on the carousel were English. Yeah, exactly. Well, they the said same. they were English. You had to say you were English before the ritual started. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say that my absolute favorite scene in the film is definitely the bit where he comes back and gets interrogated by the computer because it is one of the most cocaine-ass things I've ever seen. Because he like sits down in this chair, and he's been like manhandled into the chair, and then the computer starts asking him questions about how his mission went. And he has literally no reason to lie, but he just like refuses to talk for some reason, even though actually like him telling the the computer finding out the truth is what ultimately enables him to win. I, I don't understand that. But then so then the computer like starts like hacking his brain. And then like if each question that the computer wants an answer for, his like one a version of his head pops up in a little jar and starts rotating and talking in like a weird ghost voice, going like <laughs> there is no sanctuary. And then the computer goes no, this cannot be. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck am I Michael watching? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, li- I like all that psychedelic shit, though. Um, the the, the array, arrays of sort of gradient pinks and blues, the sort of everything being a hologram, uh, stings of string instruments that happen while sort of hallucinatory, hallucinatory shit goes on. The sex teleporter. Um, yeah, why yeah. is there a sex teleporter but not a regular teleporter? They get everywhere in like little Skeletrix cars when like they have a fucking teleporter for just shagging, but they don't <laughs> use it for like normal transport. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Uh, yo, you think you just want to use the sex teleporter for whatever? You want to let like people who aren't trying to have sex use the sex teleporter? You're a pervert. Also, also, it's like super weird that. Like Logan or the humans were kind of, kind of completely fine with the idea that they had been lied to their entire lives about like the world outside, right? And a computer, a computer that you would presumably expect to understand the possibility of something not existing because that's necessary for it to operate on the basis that it does, or at least kind of in relation to that. The computer can't handle like this bit of new information that it should have factored in, but like the humans are just like, yeah, okay, all right. That's cool. Oh yeah. The, how does the how is the computer lying? At the, if, by telling the computer about the existence of like outside, it overloads. How is it lying about the exist? How is how could it lie about something it doesn't even know about? But uh, g- going on with yeah. with the plot a little bit, we're really glossing glossing the plot. More of a general impression. Actually, I just remembered one more thing I have to add to the sex teleporter discussion, yes. which is that <laughs> there, there's only one point in the film where the sex teleporter is used, and there's an amazing moment where like Michael York is there and he's like using the sex teleporter, and then like a scantily clad dude appears. And he just like <laughs> looks at him for like slightly too long before like turning the dial again to make a woman appear. Just like a moment of just like, is it, is it, fellas, is it? <laughs> um, no, so basically he's given this mission. So he, he finds Jenny Agater again and he's like, I want you to help me. Like, I'm going to run. You ha- can you help me find this sanctuary that you told me about? Um, and uh, 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 they decide that they're going to do that. She doubts she doubts him initially, but then she sees him let a runner go. Um, and so she's like, OK, I, 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 buy, I buy that. But uh, that's uh, and where she sees him let the runner go is um, 
in a decrepit cathedral that's also in part of this paradise city where like people live until they're 15 and are just like permanently just in like child gangs um called yeah. cubs with like the like, dickensian zone yeah there's like the, the dickensian orphanarium of the uh paradise post-apocalyptic paradise dome city yeah. this thing uh, is like where- a cursed crystal maze there are like different zones and they all have a different theme um <laughs> but the uh they, they but they they escape essentially through something called they uh, get out again uh and they they get away through something called the love shop which is basically an interpretive dance about getting gooped and um <laughs> they uh essentially continue to escape and continue to escape there's lots of uh, possibly too much escaping we got to cut quite a bit of the escaping when they come to um probably my favorite scene of the film after they escape escape from the steam factory into some ice caves, they meet Box, a glowing metal robot, who says, "More machine and more more than machine and more than man, a fusion of the two. Welcome, humans. I am ready for you. Fish, plankton, sea greens, and protein from the sea. Fresh as harvest day. Overwhelming, am I not? Are you too startled? Am I too removed from your ken?" Connor, can you do me a favor and describe the character that just spoke that line? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't stop thinking about the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. I, I honestly wish that I had, like, better... Uh, I wish I had better insights for this. I think it's, it's, it feels like that character comes from essentially no... You know, essentially comes from outside of the story that someone had this idea of, like, this ice cave run by a malevolent robot they wanted to crowbar in here it felt like it felt like someone just picked up like a script page from elsewhere this might have been this might have tied into the whole cocaine thing going on with this movie oh, yeah. i was gonna say that <laughs> it feels like there were like five pages of script that someone accidentally picked up from something else and we're like yeah nice so i i, I can't describe him he's just this boxy metallic robot that somehow exists in this world where we've only seen one other ai and he says he's like part man part machine and it just doesn't it doesn't relate to anything else in the movie i got nothing for you yeah yeah, you can yeah. see when he talks, you can see the teeth of the actor playing him that is just in a costume that they spent like 10 minutes on and mostly bought from like a ducting shop. You know what it reminded um, me of? It reminded what? me of like a North FC robot. <laughs> yeah, Bazbot. <laughs> Bazbot. Yeah, so, love, uh, love caves, eight runners, simple as. <laughs> so uh, the, and, and we are revealed with the, um, with the shocking, shocking plot twist well, Box, this uh, boxy robot made of ducting, was programmed to capture food from the outside world to feed the city. Um, there is a plot twist, which is we, we is revealed to us um, a wall of frozen runners. So all of the like th- like all of the people who successfully escape the city just get frozen by Box and then fed back to the people inside. Um, or they were the apps. I missed that along. detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They are, they are, they, they, that the food ran out that Box could find. And so then he kept unfree, he kept freezing runners. And that's actually like, that plays into my, the computer was doing, is tried to destroy the city on purpose thing of, um, because they, they knew that like the city was no longer sustainable and that it only worked because people kept trying to escape carousel and then got fed back to the living. Uh, a bit like the Matrix, um, where they were like, hey, we need to get, get someone who's going to be an anomaly. To leave so that they can they can end up destroying it um because he says it is my job to freeze you and then he points a vacuum cleaner at them and tries to freeze them 
fortunately, Logan punches him in the head, and then he I the robot still see over. you. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, I notice we're, we're going long, and then the rest of it is just sort of wandering through Washington, D.C., having some fights and so on. But it, for me, what fascinates me about this film is the world um, the, and, the, and the setting of, of the city. And um, also, you know, Peter Ustinov is just always a delight to, uh, to watch him, whatever. Um, uh, they find Peter Ustinov, this old man, uh, who's like, you know, and they're like, well, I've never seen anyone, you know, who's not completely fuckable, uh, 70s style. <laughs> and then they, and they, they bring him back. Uh, as we talked about, Logan is interrogated, short circuits the computer. The entire city explodes after he, like, shoots one light bulb uh in in sandman yeah. hq that's it that's and a serious fucking design floor of the city there <laughs> yeah if you don't want the entire structural integrity of your dome post-apocalyptic yeah. city to all like be hinging on you know one light bulb um you needed one north fc guy there to be like hey, what fucking cowboy wired this this is never <laughs> passed by fucking building regs are gonna have your ass over this <laughs> um so uh basically yeah they're but the um, they they they, sh- they say don't, nobody has to die at thirty. Don't do carousel. You can live, live and grow old. Um, and, uh, allow me to do it. You can live. You don't <laughs> have to die. It's a lie. You can live. Look at this. There's an old man. His cock doesn't work anymore. You can get old. Yes. <laughs> One of the worst delivered lines, I think, in the history of like, it's like Tommy Wiseau levels of just like, just, just having a go, like whatever emotion you feel. (laughs) That was great. You know, what it's closest to is Troy McClure in the musical Planet of the Apes. Oh, God. Um, So uh, basically, a, um, a, 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 so I, I found what, but we're just gonna end on this, which is one uh, conservative, like conservative blog post by a guy called William Briggs, uh, who's like a like a like remember that the old conservative blogosphere, like he was a he was a big figure on that back when that was a thing, um, mm. and uh, he, <laughs> not until they destroyed the blog zone layer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he says, I heard that they the. Um, uh, the original Logan's run tells one essential truth, which is what life will be like once progressivism is complete. <laughs> okay. Um, inside was a progressive dr- progressive's dream, which is to say a nightmare. Every aspect of life is planned. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a great piece of writing right yeah. there. <laughs> Respect is to that guy. <laughs> Freedom is abolished in the name of fairness and equality. People live only for continual instantaneous self-pleasure. All relationships, except those between the self and the state, are viewed with suspicion. The only thing citizens can look forward to is death and renewal, wherein the dismal, dismal process repeats ad nauseum. Um, yeah, so I, that's it's just very interesting to me about how the um, how how like how you know reactionary bloggers look into it and see, and, and they 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 just see always their um th- their own anxieties projected into film. Um, and these are the same people who think that just, you know what, people over 60 should just die. They're too expensive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it needs to be repeated. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not some, like, you know, product of radical imagination. This is the this is the failure of radical imagination in the face of, like, utopian plenitude. And it really is a reactionary, you know, white flight 70s suburbanites idea of paradise, which is that you yeah. live in, like, urban density and all of your needs are taken care of. But you also get to be a cop for some reason. 
And, <laughs> you know, everyone yeah. is essentially the same as you. So there's no threat of difference or any, you know, that that's like, that. there's nothing at all progressive about that. That's just sort of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, man. It, bas- it, it, it basically, especially like as, as I think the, the, the right transformed into whatever it is now, the idea of just like living in a mall and, and getting top whenever you want and getting to be a cop where you just get to like fuck with people you're chasing and just being and basically never having to confront any kind of material reality. You know, I mean, that that kind of seems like um, it actually to me kind of seems uh, like what people's what people who made their careers in the 90s and early 2000s, what their lives are kind of like just sort of getting to mm. getting to fritter around getting to have a lot of fun, nothing really to matter that much. I mean, this isn't so much, this isn't the progressive's dream. This is the world at the end of history. Uh, just a, a sort of paradise in a shopping mall where you can, you know, have a sex teleporter. I have a teleporter especially for sex and only for sex. Computer, there is but one thing about this world I don't understand. And if you can explain <laughs> it to me, perhaps I can make my peace with it. Why can't we use the sex teleporter for regular teleporting? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sex only. <laughs> you would get into the sex teleporter with another dude. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, it goes on you know, and end shortly. Uh, th- th- this movie was made in 1977. One can only guess what they'll do with it in 2013. But let's guess. If it's remade as a Hollywood movie, we have to have good guys and bad guys. Logan will be a good guy, of course, running from whoever controls the domes. He'll have a more powerful, louder, and glitzier gun. And he even may be a she, given we've lost our taste for manliness. Why? (laughs) You're the gay sex teleporter, is it? (laughs) 35 years ago, the bad... Sucked off by a twink. That's what they want these days. (laughs) 35 years ago, the bad guy was the state, as proven above. Who will it be now? An mm. evil corporation? The Coke Corporation enslaves humanity to increase profits? Utterly nonsensical, of course, because who will have money? <laughs> oh, yeah. Can- who would do that? Everyone's <laughs> wearing nonsens- Hawaiian shirts for some reason. <laughs> Utterly nonsensical, of course, because who would have money and where could anybody spend it if they did? As though, like, slavery didn't already happen. Like, what? That leaves only one boogeyman known to the degenerates of the left coast religion. Think about it. They'd have to dump the wanton sex and chemically induced states of happiness, since that isn't very religious. Out goes the nursery in favor of mandated man-woman-only marriage, a bond created in the goal of raising children. Instead, the dome dwellers would be made to, what, pray all day? Or maybe it'll be a riff on the environmentalist angle. The people all live outside, strewing trash and using up resources, and are forbidden to get inside where the progressive dream is played out only for a lucky few. So... The, oh, that the, is, the that's reaction- just so unhinged. Like the left, oh well, they they hate religion, but they sure do love Islam. Like, there's, like yeah. there's none of it. None of these stereotypes about the left are like things exist. Like, what is the thing the left hates the most? Religion. Yeah. Okay. Sure. He's not even <laughs> also, going for like low hanging, like too many genders for it. He's going for like weird made up oh, shit. This is from 2012. It's from before they cared about that. It was before. It was before there were more than two genders, as we yeah. all know. Uh, I should clarify, too many genders is also made up, but is it at least a a point of debate which exists? I mean, if there's, if there's like, uh, if there's something we can learn about the reactionary mind from this movie and from that discourse, it's that like, you know, to get, to get psychoanalytic, it feels like the thing they're most afraid of the left doing is just fully embodying all of their actual deepest desires, right? Like, 
if we can if we can pull that off, we can actually mirror them back to them. Uh, if we become the apex of consumer culture, then we'll I don't know I I I, I don't know um, you know like I there's a whole longer discussion to be had here that would take like another hour about like yeah. what Logan's Run world would look like with actual yeah. radical imagination. I just I, I kind of just like wanted to make the point that like I sort of get where the conservative anxiety sort of comes from because throughout the film there are all these kind of I mean first of all like the script I don't think is very well written but there are like various um there are various moments where like the idea of individual choice and individuality is like immediately addressed right and i guess like the premise is that like in the in this kind of artificial made up more world your choices and your kind of individual um your individuality is like inherently restricted but it doesn't really answer the question is like how that would change on the outside like it doesn't it, it still kind of presents the idea that like there are limitations on the outside as well well, it sort of like wants you to assume that that's like better than this convoluted, hyper consumerist world where individual choice is much more easily actioned. Like, I feel like the message, the messages were just so kind of, if there was a message in this movie that was kind of inherently leading towards the idea of like anti communism or um, individual, like the promotion of individual liberty, it did like a really bad job at like trying to make that message very clear. Yeah, I, I think like the ultimately like this this is a very strange reactionary movie uh, that is just ultimately one that I, I tend to enjoy the I, I tend to just enjoy the aesthetic of and I'm fascinated with movies that of of this type. Mm. Like the, the Hunger the Hunger Games is another one for me that I just I I sort of can't look away from. But hey, look, I I think uh, we I'm noting noting the time. Um, I also want to uh, throw over a get back to our guest Connor for final judgments. What that means, you can interpret. <laughs> My final judgment on like uh, Logan's Run in particular. Yeah, go for it. I, you know, Riley, I just have to get one. I, I, I was thinking about it as you were saying you're obsessed with this kind of movie, and I think that it comes down to ultimately your obsession is because you. You're obsessed with movies where people run from false utopias because you fled from tranquil suburban Ontario, Canada. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, oh, God damn, uh, you, you, you fucking you, you got me. I made you think there, did I? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid you got me. Um, <laughs> so look, ultimately, Logan's run. It turns out it's about me. Uh, but anyway. I want to thank uh, Connor for calling in and talking about this strange, weird movie with us today uh, and to encourage everybody to listen to Podside Picnic as soon as you possibly can. Connor, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for listening to the Patreon. You know the deal. Bail funds in the in the description. Um, you know, the the pro the protests may not may not be still going on, but people are still being tried. And still need bail, so uh, do can keep do keep those going. Uh, also, you know how it is. There are shirts that are happening. Um, yeah, buy one for of us. us. Yeah, send an email. Well, to, to why me. don't you get a get a get a fucking shit? Oh, order order a shit, you fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm I'm Theo Pengeli, and I think you should order a shit. Wow, thanks, Theo. Thank you, Theo. <laughs> <laughs> Morning, I'm Andrew Dole, and I also think you should order a shit. And listen to me and Riley uh, do the Boney Island Whitefish, uh, which comes out once a week, where we watch like and review it. an episode, season five of the show. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Bones. <laughs> Crikey. Suddenly, well, there's, also many, there's also many bones that is I expected, Riley, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> quite a few. Oh, Andrew, there's quite a few bones in this show. Sorry, this is uh, our, 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 our portion of the show where we just start doing impressions of okay, wait. Vista. We need to do an episode of Trash Future where we just impersonate Bunta Vista. Oh my god, I, I would love to time. do that. I would love to do that. And like, I'm so bad at accents and voices, but like it would just sound incredibly funny. Oh, you, you're bad at accents and voices, Hussein. No, no, I you're am. Talking talking Riley is the enigma machine. No, no, the difference is, is that he tries to do accents knowing that like there's a chance that it will like fuck up and sound like like Belizean or something. I actively avoid it for that reason. Uh-huh. Um, also, listen to my new podcast. It's called Ten Thousand Posts. It's about Twitter, and it's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Listen to Hussein's yeah, new podcast. Yeah, an official endo- an official endorsement it. from me, Ben McClay. Listen to Milo's Russian podcast if you like. Do you speak <laughs> Russian? It's probably a prerequisite for enjoying it. I've got a bit Bob Catter. Well. No, you can you can listen to podcasts all you like, but I'm not going to spend any more time on it because, quite frankly, on this podcast, someone gets torn apart by crocodiles every three weeks. <laughs> okay, enough of this nonsense. Um, uh, a, a goodbye, a, a fond goodbye uh, to everyone out there in podcast land, and mm. we will see you back on the free feed on Tuesday. Tuesday. Later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Take care.